Welcome to the Top Advisor Podcast, brought to you by Proud Mouse Pod Rocket Academy. I'm your host, Bill Cates, creator of the Cates Academy for Relationship Marketing. In each episode, I interview one of our industry's top performers, getting them to pass on their secrets to success to you so that you can impact more lives and generate more income. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Top Advisor Podcast. This show is part one of a two-part conversation between me and marketing expert, Mary Beth Kuzmeski. On today's show, Mary Beth will take the lead in discussing what it takes to get more referrals without asking. I'll be asking her a few questions and we'll probably chime in from time to time with my own thinking in this area. And I, I don't think I've ever met an advisor who didn't want more unsolicited referrals as long as those prospects were an ideal fit for their business. First, let me tell you just a little bit about our featured guest. Dr. Mary Beth Kuzmeski is the president of Red Zone Marketing, an award-winning marketing consulting firm with clients throughout the financial services industry. And Red Zone Marketing's primary focus is designing innovative marketing and business growth initiatives for financial service practices. Uh, Mary Beth has written nine books on marketing and is also a professor at Oklahoma State University teaching marketing and personal branding, name, image, and likeness for student athletes, which I find quite interesting. She has a bachelor's degree from Newhouse School of Public Communications, Syracuse University, an MBA from the George Washington University, and a PhD in business administration from Oklahoma State University. I have an affinity for Oklahoma State because my father played basketball there for the legendary coach Hank Iba. And you can learn more about Mary Beth Kosmeski and the great work that she does for advisors at redzonemarketing.com. That's redzonemarketing.com. Dr. Mary Beth K. Dr. Mary Beth Kosmeski, do they call you Dr. K? At, they do uh, call me Dr. K because no one can pronounce Kosmeski around here. So, yeah, I, I think I got it mostly right most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> You're better than most. <laughs> hey, you know, but it's easy. They all remember. It's easy to remember, right? There goes Dr. K. Now, I, I need to say that Dr. K, Mary Beth, is usually adorned in red because of red zone marketing. So she probably has three closets full of red everything. Uh, but today it's more on the orange side because of the Oklahoma State Cowboys, correct? That is correct. This is uh, football time and you've got to wear your school colors and I, I'm doing my part. Yes, you should. <laughs> All right. Uh, so Dr. Kuzmeski, um, now that you've earned your PhD, uh, you're a university professor, I know you started doing a lot of research. That's what professors do. And it's, it's great for the kind of work you and I do. Uh, and you're, you're researching what advisors are doing, what's working in their marketing, I guess what's not working uh, for them as well. What's the number one marketing strategy that brings in new clients for most advisors? Well, it's it's interesting because, you know, when we went through COVID, everything changed, mm -hmm. but some things didn't change because we did these surveys. Uh, well, we've been doing surveys for a while, but in 2019, we did several surveys. 2020, we did several surveys. Mm -hmm. uh, 21, we did several surveys. And then 2022. And the number one way that advisors bring on new business is the same as it's always been. 
and that is unsolicited referrals. So a lot of times these surveys will say things like, how do you get new business? And the advisor answers referrals. But we wanted to break down the difference between asking for a referral and not asking for a referral and still getting it. And by far, it has always been in this industry, unsolicited referrals. And I would add to that in part two, that's where I'll be talking about how to ask, how to ask appropriately, and how to ask in a way that directs your business in the way you want it to go, how to get referred up rather than down, which happens a lot. Um, so wh why do you think it's not changed? Why, why do you think this is, uh, what, what is the talking heads? Same as it's ever been, same as it's ever been. <laughs> why is it the same as it's ever been? That dates you a little bit, Bill, but that's- uh, It's fine, I'm an old guy, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Yes. Uh, I think because of the nature of this business, mm. you know, uh, the, this business is based on trust. If I've worked my entire career to amass $5 million, the last thing I'm going to do is check out like TikTok and figure out who I'm going to use for my financial services work, right? I mean, <laughs> we're talking to our closest confidants. We're talking to the people that we really trust, people that have gone through retirement before, and we're asking them, how did you do it? Who did you go see? And that's, this is trust-based. We are not doing this in other ways. And it, even though that, you know, advisors do get business from other avenues, this is still the number one way. And the studies I've seen, mostly from Schwab, but some other groups as well, also demonstrates that that's how most people want to meet their advisor. One study uh, from Schwab was something like 84% of those advisory clients found their advisor through uh, an introduction from a friend, a family member, a colleague, or a center of influence, another trusted advisor like a CPA or an accountant. 16% will do it through other ways. I think, you know, seminars and things like that, and I'm not going to tell people to not do those things, but I think they kind of work by default because those people haven't been introduced by someone else they can already trust. So here we're talking about What's an advisor's preferred method? What's the client's preferred method in trying to make that everybody's, you know, way of meeting each other, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think one of the things is that a lot of advisors feel like they've got to do some quote unquote marketing. But sometimes the service that you do is the marketing that mm -hmm. you need, as opposed to thinking about doing other things. And I'll give you, for instance, we had a call today from a financial advisor. He runs a high net worth practice, practice that brings in a lot of high net worth clients. And he said, we've got a big problem. I said, what's your problem? He said, we are not ranking on our Google search. You know, it, we're, our SEO is bad. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, so tell me why you want your SEO to be better. And I asked him, where do you get your current clients from? He goes, oh, well, every one of them comes from referrals. Then what are you trying to do with your search engine optimization? Are you trying to bring in unqualified clients? Are you trying to, like, what are you trying to do when you know that all of your business from the inception of your business to today has always come from a referral of some sort? And he's like, boy, I never thought of it that way. <laughs> I just always thought we had to rank higher on Google. Yeah. I mean, it's nice to do that, but not if your entire business has already been satisfied with bringing in clients through referrals. Let's get better at doing that. Yeah. I think where that might be changing maybe, and I'm curious what you've seen, um, 
with with younger clients as you know the gen x's and the millennials who are starting to have money in their own right starting to obviously inherit a lot of money now or soon um that that's that social media presence which will google searches would be one of them linkedin all the others uh i think that maybe has a little more weight for those people like if someone doesn't show up are they going to ding them? You know, do they get a demerit, so to speak, for the younger set, perhaps? Yeah, no, absolutely. It makes a difference, but it's not what this particular advisor was looking for. So, right. um, you know, the right. whole social media thing is very important for advisors, but different than what they may think or why they may think it's important. Yeah, I agree. So let's let's get into that a little bit. Uh, I do want to talk about LinkedIn other social media opportunities. I know that some advisors, and I'm going to say some, because I haven't met a lot, uh, are having some success with LinkedIn, some with Facebook. I interviewed one. I'll mention his episode in a few minutes. Um, but I like the, the half joke <laughs> that I think the people making the most money with social media are those who are trying to sell their social media services <laughs> to advisors. Um, and yet you and I do help clients with their social media. So all seriousness aside, I'll let that sink in. That was an old uh, Steve Allen joke. All seriousness aside, uh, wh what are you seeing that is working for advisors on the social media front? Well, back to the number one way that advisors are bringing in new business, it's okay. unsolicited referrals. Okay. But it doesn't matter if you're getting an unsolicited referral, they're still going to check you out online. And when they search for you online, they're not necessarily looking, are you the number one ranked person on a Google search? But to your point, can you find this person? And when you find this person or firm or what you know, team, when you find them, what do you see? Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest things that I think advisors forget about social media and your website presence and your whole digital media presence is that this is what's going to help you convert the referral. So yeah. you got to get the referral and then you have to convert the referral. And mm -hmm. I don't mean close the sale. I hope when somebody comes in for an appointment that you're going to be able to close the sale. I'm talking about getting them to come in for the appointment, getting them to do something. People spend, a, you know, just a less than a minute a lot of times on your social media profile, less than a minute on your website. And when they do that, are they getting the feeling that they're in the right place? And so social media, number one, is a great exposure tool. And we don't think of it like that. We think, oh, we got to do all these crazy things. And no, we, we just have to have a great exposure tool. Then let's talk about posting and all these other things, but you've got a bio online that you've created. You've been able to design this bio online to, to help with your presence. And that makes a really big difference to people that are looking and younger people, older people, everybody is searching. I mean, the statistics are nine out of 10 people are going to Google you before they ever come in and see you. And if they have more than a million dollars, it's 10 out of 10. That means everyone is searching for you online. And some of them actually may not be really, really excited about changing financial advisors. They're looking for a reason to kind of say, you know what, I'm just going to put this mm -hmm. off for a while. Yep. They're looking for to keep the status quo. Uh, I, I'm going to butcher a metaphor here um, with your red zone marketing, because we all know, or people listening, most people know that the red zone in football is that the, the last 20 yards, right? Where we have a chance of scoring. 
So let's say that the referral puts you in good field position. Let's say that the social media gets you into the red zone <laughs> and then it's your job to, to, to make the score. Is that a fair metaphor? Yeah, it is a really a fair metaphor. And what happens a lot when somebody gets into that red zone is that um, it's kind of like, I, I consider it the referral puts you in the red zone, Okay. whether you're going to convert from the red zone to the end zone to get them in for an appointment. Because I think from a marketing standpoint, that's the most important thing we can do. We yeah. are helping people uh, find the right solution to their, to their issues, to their challenges, to their needs. And so they, you get a referral. What are you going to do? You're going to fumble the ball. Are you happy if you haven't updated your website or your social media profile for you know years and years? If your LinkedIn profile doesn't have a picture or doesn't really have a good bio or your why or your story, then people might just go, ah, I don't know. He just he looks like everybody else. Yeah, you've got to look professional. Uh, I I I think this past week I've had two different advisors contact me. I shouldn't say I think I know contact me, uh, want me to help them find their or solidify their target market because they kind of know what they want. One guy really knows it. Other guy's close. Uh, and then the messaging around that. And obviously you want, if you're going to commit to a target market, you want that LinkedIn profile to represent that. Right? You want to attract the people you want to attract and not attract the people you don't want to attract. And if you're working from unsolicited referrals, I think I would think that becomes even more important to kind of disqualify the people that you don't want to take in unnecessarily. Yeah, it's the, it's really so important. And sometimes advisors think, well, that one time I did have that one person who called who didn't <laughs> fit into that target market, but they were a great client. But we have to look at what's the highest probability prospect that's going to you know, perhaps be looking at our profile because they came from a referral. They're ready to do something. Are we giving them the reason to do it? Or are we giving them the reason not to do it? And your social media profile, a glance at it, will tell them in, in some respects whether or not they should continue looking or not. And LinkedIn is the place where it's the most searchable. If I search you know, anyone's first name, last name, unless they're like Bill Smith or something, you're going to likely find that person. And the first thing that's going to pop up in a lot of cases, even before their website, is their LinkedIn profile. Yeah. So what does that say? And your LinkedIn profile also is more like your resume than your website is. Your website is more like your promotional uh, material. Um, your, your LinkedIn is your, is your resume. I mean, this is, these are the facts about what you've done in your career and it has to be good and credible, but it also has to be something where um, people can go, I, I, I think this is the right person. And how do we do that in a quick mm -hmm. amount of time on social media? And it's mm -hmm. actually easier than you think. Yeah. Uh, hint. It's being crystal clear on who you're trying to serve, attract, crystal clear on what you need to say to them so they see themselves in your message, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, and so real quick, before I move to a different topic, uh, well, two things. First of all, um, what, what other social media are you seeing advisors have any success in? Obviously, LinkedIn would be the primary. Yeah. Are you seeing anybody do anything in Facebook or Instagram or anything any other than uh, LinkedIn? 
Yeah, I can only talk about what I've actually seen working. And obviously LinkedIn works for anyone that's still working. If you've got prospects that are still working that haven't retired yet, it's a great place to be, obviously. Uh, there are some exceptions to that. For instance, physicians are typically not roaming around on LinkedIn, um, but they're not roaming around anywhere typically. <laughs> now, Facebook is way more successful if you're dealing with a target market that is primarily female and already retired. That is where we've seen a lot of success. Um, we have an advisor in Long Island, New York, who has filled entire seminars with these using Facebook ads um, mm. in their target market. And so we know that Facebook does work, but you know, again, it's what are we doing and why are we doing it? I, I heard from an advisor the other day, she said, I was speaking at a conference and she said, I wanna get more um, followers to my Facebook page. I wanna get more likes on my page. Okay. Why? Why? I asked her and she's like, well, I want to get more prospects to, to like my page. Okay. So you're, are you trying to get likes or you're trying to get engagement? Cause if you're trying to get engagement, we're, we're, we're looking at the wrong end goal. The end goal is get somebody engaged by downloading something, attending a seminar, attending a webinar. That should be the main goal. And if that works, they're gonna end up engaging with your with your Facebook page or whatever it is. Um, but sometimes we just we're thinking about this end goal that's not like it's SEO. I you don't really want SEO. You want whatever it's going to bring you because uh, of whatever you think that's going to do for you. And so sometimes it's thinking through these things and not just listening to all the talking heads in marketing and and advertising and everything else and just listening to what actually is logical and makes sense for a firm that's mostly bringing in unsolicited referrals. Yes. And, and, and where, where do your prospects, your ideal prospects hang out? Where do they quote unquote congregate? Uh, I, I do want to mention that uh, episode number 17 uh, is with uh, a very successful advisor, Joe DeSena. And uh, I've interviewed Joe twice. This episode 17 is all about how he uses Facebook. What in, in a nutshell, what he's done is rather than you know, using Facebook just for personal and not allowing clients and not allowing prospects to interact with him. He's just open it to everybody and clients and he follows clients and, and they follow him and he comments on their posts. And he, he's actually put the social back in, in social media with Facebook. And he's gotten a lot of clients from that uh, because, you know, people will say, Hey, is that your advisor? Isn't that your, yeah. Do you like him? I'm thinking, you know, changing or whatever. And so, uh, we know it can work. Um, the whole idea is to be purposeful and to and to be in front of the right people, right? That's right. And anything with social media, if you're going beyond just that exposure phase, which I've got a really good presence, if somebody looks at it, they're going to go, ah, this person, this team, this firm looks like a good firm for me. Um, exposure is number one. And then when you start posting and doing more you know, other things on social media, it has to be a, like you said, social and B it's gotta be engaging. If it's not engaging, if you're posting all of this stuff on social media and nobody is liking, clicking, sharing, doing anything, why exactly are you doing it? <laughs> yeah. Amen. Um, so I shift gears here a little bit again. Uh, I follow college athletics. Uh, I follow the recruiting game. Uh, I went to the university of Maryland, go Terps. Uh, you know, the big buzz right now is what's known as NIL, where athletes can be compensated for their name, image, and likeness. 
in fact, I covered the topic just a bit in my interview with Walter Stith. Walter is a former professional football football player turned financial advisor. Uh, if our listeners want to check that out, it's episode 19 with Walter Stith. Uh, hopefully the link will make it into the show notes. But back to my question, what can advisors learn? Because I know you're working with these athletes with, with marketing and, and social media and whatnot. What, what can advisors learn from some of the personal branding that student athletes are doing? Yeah, so it's it's interesting because when this whole NIL thing happened, the athletic department at Oklahoma State contacted the dean's office at Oklahoma State in the business department and said, hey, can you find someone who can help teach a class on this, on name, image, and likeness, personal branding? We've got to teach our student athletes how to do this right. Mm -hmm. And again, looking at, okay, so what's the real objective? Well, one of them is we've got to clean up what we have out there. Um, one of the things that we start to do in, in the class that I teach and in, in, is clean up in aisle 14. Well, you look back at um, when you're 14 years old, you may have posted some things that you probably want to delete now or clean up. And so one of the things that we look at, and it was the same principles that we use with financial advisors that we now use with athletes, is you're an athlete, you're on the field to play, you have a great play. And someone goes, oh my gosh, you know what? I want to, I want to, or you have a sponsorship relationship with this student athlete. I'm going to go check them out online. And their online presence looks like dirt, right? You go, mm -hmm. well, they're not ready for the opportunity. It's the same thing that we've been talking about with unsolicited referrals. Mm -hmm. You've got to be ready for the opportunity when somebody comes and looks. And most people, unfortunately, aren't ready with a good personal bio, with a good picture, with good information that shares the story. We work a lot on storytelling. And I know you do that same thing. And, and you know, we, we all tell advisors, you really got to get your story out. And it's not as easy as just, hey, I'm just going to start telling my story, right? But right. once you start telling that story, people are engaged by that. And how do you do that? It could be through video. It could be through text. It could be through lots of different ways. But we work with the student athletes to get their authentic story out there. Oftentimes, it says on their social media profile, football player. Well, guess what? My social media profile could say girl from Wisconsin, but that's really <laughs> not all I am, right? I'm a little bit more than just a girl from Wisconsin. And they're a lot more than just a football player. And a financial advisor is a heck of a lot more than just a financial advisor. Yeah. You got to tell your story because the story is what people engage with. Uh, as an aside, one of the studies that we've done is we, we did this focus group with, with a bio and we had people read a bio and then come back. And what did you remember from that bio? The most remembered thing from the bio was the name of the advisor's cat. Oh, my. Not that they have a CFP, that they won all these awards. Because where do we see ourselves in the advisor? And we think about this and we go, okay, people are choosing a financial advisor because of all of their expertise and all of you know these awards they've won and all of their credentials. And that's part of it. It's almost like that's table stakes. What they remember is the things that connect to them. We don't choose a financial advisor because we're making a logical decision. We choose an advisor because we're making logic and a gut decision. I like him. I like her. I think she's going to help me. I think she's going to help my family. Yeah, it, it, this is all about empathy. It's it, they need to see themselves and how you talk about your value. Not not everything you say, but just a, a little bit of commonality here. And there goes a long way. I, the way I like to say it is they want to know what you do. They want to know how you do it, but they also want to know who you are. 
Yes. And that's what story is about. And so I guess everyone needs to get a cat or a dog, have a, a name that's easy to remember and make sure that goes in the bio. Um, all right. Some action steps for everybody. <laughs> yeah. I, I say that only because that's what people remember. We think yeah. what they're going to remember. They remember what's the most interesting. And the fact that you won some award that they don't know what it is or right. some cr credential that they don't exactly know what that means. Um, what they do know is that this is a person that I mean, who knows why we remember those things, but it happens over and over again. Yeah, that's true. So I, I know that you recently wrote uh, some university courseware on services and experience marketing, if I'm getting that right, service and experience marketing. Uh, what are some of the, the key takeaways from that research that you did that's relevant to the folks listening today? Yeah, the, the textbook services and experience marketing is, you know, obviously a textbook for students, but a all of the case studies inside of the text is filled with things like what financial advisors are doing. And one of the things that we know to be true, and everybody that's listening to this will agree, most likely, is that the experience you create, going back to what's memorable, mm -hmm. the fact that I'm delivering a financial plan to you is not necessarily the most memorable thing. It's what that is going to do for me and how I can tell that story of my financial plan and how I can think about my, my financial life in a different way. The experience doesn't have to be song and dance and big gifts. It's how you make someone else feel. And in business today, this is such a big thing because I don't care if you're selling uh, an Apple watch, that Apple watch is an experience. That Apple watch is not a watch. No longer are any of the products we buy um, just a product. It's, a, it's an experience. And services marketing, like financial services, where you're not selling a tangible, is where that really started. And if you think about it, it goes back to everything that we were talking about. Um, the experience is what's memorable. What's memorable is what someone's going to share with somebody else. And that's going to derive, you know, the, all the referrals and the things that are going to happen in your business. Sometimes it's not the, the, you know, written down 25 step service process, but it's what they pull from that. It's what they remember from that. It's that experience that they had when they dealt with every single person in their office. Sometimes a smile and a compliment on somebody is more important than all the other things that you might do because it changes the way we feel. And that's what the experience is all about. How do we make people feel differently when they come into our office? And there's all these kitschy things, all bake cookies and, you know, remember the our favorite drink. And I, I agree with all those things, but it's, it's not about having some data-driven process where you're looking at the database and saying, well, this person likes to drink coffee with whatever. It's about thinking, who is this person and what can I do to be grateful for them today or to, you know, just make them feel differently because I'm a real person delivering real service. Yeah. It's a mechanical versus human, you know, it's, we can all get, yeah. get the mechanical side. We just need reminders, checklists, CRMs. Uh, it, you remind me of a, a book that came out. I, I think it was 99 or something a long time ago by Pine and Gilmore called the experience economy. And um, what they talked about them, they were almost prescient because it's just become more and more and more. It's about the experience. And I think, you know, like you say, it's not the cookies. It's was he or she a really good listener? Did they really listen to me? I don't care if they gave me cookies, if they didn't really listen to me, right? right. Or they talked down to me, you know, in terms of me not understand what they do, et cetera. So, 
Yeah, it's more um, about empathy, like you said before, using that word again, than absolutely. than just about anything else. Yeah. Um, and and just you know, good caring. And and most advisors do that. But mm -hmm. I think when we think we've really got to amp up the experience, we need to bake bread in the office. Not really. Yeah, and and some expire advisors don't do that as well. Um, I I got called by an advisor's wife. Uh, who said, you need to help my husband. You know, we get people in the office, but nobody becomes clients. <laughs> and uh, he just wasn't winning any new business. And it turns out he was, he was essentially talking them to death. He, was, he, was, he thought he was being so giving in explaining everything to the nth degree and showing them all the options to the nth degree. All they did was got, get confused. And uh, so that was not an experience. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've got well, two it was. well, it was. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't uh, what, what we'll call a remarkable experience worthy of remark. Um, so I got two more questions for you. Uh, one has to do with the virtual experiences, which we're, we're all finding ourselves in now. And I also want to have you cover some of the mistakes that you see advisors are making in their marketing. So the folks listening don't make those mistakes. Uh, they'll make others. Um, <laughs> Uh, before we get to those topics, I want to take a very brief pause to listen to a word from our sponsor, Pod Rocket Academy, who makes this podcast possible. In fact, these great folks not only produce this podcast for me, they're in the business of helping advisors such as you listening launch and run their own podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Proudmouth, the Influence Accelerators. If you're like our clients, you want to spend more time educating people and less time selling. That's why we turn Main Street experts like you into trusted mainstream authorities. We help you amplify your influence over a growing audience of magnetically attracted fans who will chase you down instead. Visit ProudMouth.com to learn more. Before we continue this episode, I want to let you know that I have a ton of guides, checklists, videos, and other tools on our website that are free for your taking. Just go to referralcoach.com forward slash resources. Now write this down unless you're driving. Referralcoach.com forward slash resources. While you're there, make sure you sign up for our weekly tips where we're always sharing best practices and we'll notify you of our newest podcast interviews as they go live. And while these resources are free to you, I think you'll find them quite valuable. So Mary Beth, now on to virtual. I know that some advisors never missed a beat when COVID hit because they were already doing a lot of virtual meetings. I had several folks that I interviewed for the podcast that, that, that had that experience. And it seems, however, that uh, many advisors uh, have experienced that, that at least some aspects of their operations have been impacted possibly permanently by COVID-19. Uh, so the long tail effects of COVID for the practice, I'd love to, to, you know, to know what you've observed in this area. Yeah. One of the things is that, uh, you know, the latest survey that we did found that most advisors are back in the office. They're mm -hmm. back in the office. Their teams are back in the office, not a hundred percent of the time, maybe not as much as before, but mostly back in the office, which was surprising because you hear about, you know, people don't want to come back to the office, but in financial services, it's kind of important to be back in the office. There's a lot of moving parts and complexities and it's good to be in the office. So we found that that's true. But mm -hmm. one of the things that I think is the best from a marketing perspective, if we can pull something positive out of this COVID thing that happened to all of us is that advisors and 
and I have been so surprised by this, but advisors have been able to expand their reach in some cases across the country because they really thought that they needed to bring in clients and meet with them face to face. Now, it's important that the staff is in the office. I do agree with that. But we have found advisors are dealing with clients across the country. So they're getting a referral. And by the way, Every advisor I know has clients in more than one state. They've got clients all over the place because you've got a client in Wisconsin and then they move to Florida or Arizona or something like that. And then all of a sudden you're getting referrals from Florida and Arizona and you're picking up new business in those areas. It has become so much easier based on the things like Zoom and things like that, where you can actually have good prospecting conversations and really keep in touch with people that don't live anywhere near you. We have several offices that they are virtual to their clients, to all of their clients, mm -hmm. but not virtual to their team. Mm -hmm. Now, what does that mean? Well, they're located in some weird place and that they moved to during COVID and now they're all together, but they're serving clients across the country. But the thing that I love is we've got advisors who, one advisor who works with engineers and he'd worked with engineers in this, his local area. And all of a sudden during COVID, he's like, how can I get new clients started to expand and do webinars and write things for engineers across the country and is bringing in clients to this day from across the country. Another is aerospace, um, bringing in clients in California specifically, if you don't live within like half an hour from somebody, you don't really want to drive to them because of the traffic and everything else. Yeah. Well, now Advisors are picking up aerospace clients from all over the place because they can get them virtually. And so we've seen niche after niche like this. Orthopedic surgeons is another one. Um, there was a virtual conference for orthopedic surgeons, and this particular advisor thought this would be a great way of engaging with them. And he knew someone that was an orthopedic surgeon, was one of his clients, and decided to make a pitch to orthopedic surgeons using social media, using website, using content marketing, as we call it, um, mm -hmm. to really engage people that are way beyond their local area. And by the way, it's really inexpensive to do things like that because you're doing virtual seminars and you're doing virtual prospecting and you're not traveling, they're not traveling. And if you get the virtual side down, which some advisors have gotten down very well, it makes it really easy to expand your market enormously. Yeah. Uh, I've, I'm seeing that as well. In fact, um, episode three of the podcast, Adam Schmela, uh, he's one of those guys that was doing virtual even before COVID, and he's created a national reputation for himself among optometrists around the country. Um, and in fact, he's uh, taking flying lessons, buying an airplane. Well, he'll eventually be able to visit his clients in different places, but everything he's done and, and I find that when you have a niche, a target market, I think that makes the, the long distance work even better just because you have that commonality and understanding of their business. And I don't know about what you think, but everything seems to work better in a target market anyway. <laughs> it does. It definitely does. So uh, kind of the last big question um, is mistakes. What where are people dropping the ball in, in your opinion and your research and, and, and conversations with so many advisors? Well, obviously, Bill, they're dropping the ball in the red zone. So we know <laughs> this to be true. But how are they dropping the ball in the red zone? And I think that it is, and this is sort of a general word, but it's messaging. It's how an advisor and their team and their firm is messaging themselves properly to their highest probability target market. 
and or niche. And if you think about it, you know, if I go to someone's website, they say we do financial planning and investment management for individuals and families and businesses. And it doesn't really tell me anything about what you do exactly. And it doesn't really tell me who you work with besides everyone in the entire world. It doesn't give me that I'm at the right place. Mm-hmm. And I think we do not as financial advisors, and by the way, this is outside of financial services as well. We don't message our, ourselves properly to that target market, the highest common denominator target market. And if I were an advisor today and I said, I don't really want to spend a lot of money on marketing, but I do want to do some things that are going to help my marketing, go to your website, change your headlines, get rid of 90% of the content on the website. And in order to get rid of 90% of the content, you've got to be concise. And that's great messaging. So how are you going to give them just what they want so they have enough information in the minute that they're going to spend on your website to pick up the phone and call, to send an email, to schedule on your Calendly, to do something about it. But I think we're not you know, whether it's differentiation or what it is that you do, we say it in the same way everybody else says it. We do things the way everybody else does it. And I'm not talking about going against compliance. I'm talking about truly messaging yourself in a way that is going to resonate and be memorable to the other person. Yeah. That's it. Concise. Uh, The right words that will attract the right people, but not too many of them. Don't feel like you have to spill everything. You're just trying to I mean, what's the call to action on a website? Set up a call, set up an appointment. That's that's all you need. You're just trying to get them to one action. We're not trying to convert them into a client through a website, right? Right. So, right. sorry. Uh, you know, we're, we're coming to the end of this episode. So I want to remind everyone that this is part one of a two-part series. So today we talked about mostly getting referrals without asking, unsolicited referrals, hopefully the right kind of referrals. Uh, And in part two, Mary Beth will be interviewing me on how to ask for introductions appropriately with an emphasis on appropriate and with an emphasis on getting referred up or getting referred to the right types of people. And contrary to what a lot of people think, uh, there is a way to ask that's not going to hurt a relationship and that will help you direct your practice in the direction you want it to go. You'll never hurt a relationship whatsoever uh, around this. And you're going to get even more of the right people. And what we also know is asking and not getting when you ask creates unsolicited referrals down the road. So you're going to see how this message today from Mary Beth and and my message uh, coming up will very well, very much complement each other. Uh, you can learn more about Mary Beth Kuzmeski and the great work she does for advisors at redzonemarketing.com. Again, that's redzonemarketing.com. Thank you, Dr. Mary Beth Kuzmeski, president of Red Zone Marketing. Well, thank you. And I can't wait to interview you next. Oh boy, it's going to be fun. Uh, to the listener of this podcast, may I ask you a favor? If you like this episode or like the podcast in general, please leave a five-star review on the platform you're listening to now you know, not all platforms have a place for reviews but if yours does certainly be grateful and if you haven't already head over to referralcoach.com forward slash resources sign up for our weekly tips a ton of free guides scripts etc this is bill cates reminding you that ideas do not make you more successful only acting on those ideas will bring you the success you desire thanks for stopping by top advisor podcast Thank you for listening to the Top Advisor Podcast, brought to you by Proud Mouse Pod Rocket Academy. 
I encourage you to visit my website, referralcoach.com, for links to my books, online courses, and to register for the Cates Academy.